0: As Chris uh, prayed, we're coming to God's Word. Now, if you'd like a, a Bible in your hand, um, stick a hand in the air, and uh, someone will bring you one. The lovely Horace will bring you one this morning. There's uh, one over here. Uh, if you're a sort of JFer or a YPFer and you uh, like to have a sheet, there's some sheets um, hanging around somewhere in the building. Um, I think Ben and Bex might have them, so stick your hand in there if you want a sheet. I've got some sheet requests at the back here, Ben and Bex, you're on sheet distribution. Get moving, Mr. Daniel, Jr. Great joy. So uh, John Ackhurst has got the sheets at the back. There's a couple of hands in the air for Bibles, sheets over that side. We're in John 14, uh, John chapter 14. I've got a different Bible to the ones that are handed out, so I haven't a clue what the page number is, but John's Gospel's about there in my Bible. If you're still in something that sounds like a prophet, like Zephaniah, Malachi, keep going. If you end up in something that ends in Ian, like a letter, then you want to go backwards. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's about, he's about there. 1082 are the lucky numbers today. 1082 secures you today's Bible reading. Here comes John 14, starting at verse 1. John 14. Jesus speaking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him Philip said Lord show us the father and that will be enough for us Jesus answered don't you know me Philip even after I've been among you such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me the words I say to you I do not speak in my own authority Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, there's a danger on a Sunday like this as we celebrate looking back. You might be here thinking, well, to be a part of this church, I've got to have this Christian life sorted. I mean, I need to be the sort of person who can think of nothing better than leaving all my friends and going to plant a new church in, a, in another area. Or I need to be the sort of person who loves nothing more than sharing the good news about Jesus, walking around with a big t-shirt on my front saying, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and what do you think about it? That, that might be what you feel it, it means for, for you to be a part of a church like this. Well, when it looks back, looks, celebrates, all that we've pulled off in the Lord over the last five or six years but but the problem is is, as we read these verses as the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples they're not primarily a a rallying call for a, a successful bunch of men who are feeling confident about taking on the world no they're words of comfort to fearful disciples to frail disciples who Jesus has just told a are totally incapable of following him. He said this in chapter 13 and verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, just as I told the Jews. So I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. These are the men who've who've pinned the entirety of their lives on Jesus for the last three years, who've left everything to follow him. And he says, sorry, lads, I'm off (laughs) and you can't come with me. And then Peter, he tries a bit of big talk to to bolster the troops. And look what Jesus says to Peter in verse 38. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. Now, Now let me tell you a little secret. I am a pastor who spends a lot of my Christian life afraid and feeling a failure. There was a conference yesterday, the speaker said, surely if we believe this, on the train on the way home, we will be telling people about Jesus. And I was thinking, here are some good reasons why I won't be doing that. And of course, it's not just a failure in speaking about the Lord Jesus, I feel an utter failure in the way that my life, which should be an advert for the Lord Jesus, actually is very far from that. Perhaps you are a bit like that this morning. Rather than thinking, I've got the Christian life licked. I want to be a part of that new vision. This is the church for me. You're thinking, I'm actually afraid a lot of the time. And I'm a failure. Do I really fit in here? This is a great passage for us. It's a great passage for me today. Because the first thing Jesus does is he comforts troubled hearts. He comforts troubled hearts. That's what he says, isn't it? Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Trust me, says Jesus. There's no shortage of room in my Father's house in heaven. Uh, this is not a promise, by the way, that we will all have oxshot like footballers' mansions with the Lord forever. That's not the point. It's not the size of the house. It's that if you think that heaven's a bit exclusive for you, you're wrong. There's room for everyone who'll trust in Jesus. And that's what I'm going to do, says Jesus, to prepare a place for you. That's what I'll be doing tomorrow as I hang on a cross with your sin upon my shoulders, dying in your place that's what i'll be doing as i burst out of the grave and rise to new life so you can have a fresh start with god now and forever that's what i'll be doing as i ascend to heaven so that you know that human beings home is with god the father that's what i'm going to do and if you're worried that you're ever going to make it well look what jesus says in verse three And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Don't don't trouble your hearts about how you'll get there. I won't just prepare a place. I'm going to come back and take you. bit like Arnie. I'll be back. That's what he says. So you can be there with me. See, Jesus stretches out his arms so that he might be nailed to a cross to prepare a place in heaven for us. And then he says, I'm going to come back and gather you up in my arms and take you home to be there with me. And you know what's special about home, don't you? It's not the new kitchen or the paint job. It's not so much the place as the company. You'll be where I am, says Jesus. You'll be with me. You'll be gazing into the face of your beautiful Savior for all eternity. You'll be knowing the perfect love of God the Father and God the Son every single moment of every day as you dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, home isn't the house of your dreams. Home is where you know there's someone waiting for you. And waiting for every Christian believer is the Lord himself. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we say when Christians die, very often they've gone home. Now isn't that that what you need to hear when when you've failed again? When your sin means that you don't want to spend time with God. In fact, a lot of the time you don't even want to spend time with yourself. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. I've done everything to make my Father's house your home. I'm going to come and take you home to be with me. Isn't that what you you need to hear when you're afraid because the, the future prognosis is not good? Or the years just seem to fly by quicker and the days are filled with hospital appointments rather than hanging out with your friends, unless, of course, you bump into them in the hospital waiting room. This is comfort, isn't it, in our loneliness and in our worry? Don't let your hearts be troubled, says Jesus. I've got this. I've got you. I'm going to take you home. But, but look at what Thomas says, because it's, it's a very natural reaction. You see, in verse 4, Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? You see, Thomas desperately wants to follow Jesus, but he just feels the directions haven't been quite clear enough. And here's the second thing we see. We see Jesus say, no, the path to God, it's not a a path to follow, it's a person to come to. And in doing so, he he gives confidence for doubtful disciples. When when he says in in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, the only way into a relationship with his Father in heaven. Because only he is the perfect son of God who lived the life we should have lived, never did anything wrong. And therefore he died the death we should die in our place. The death we deserve for the way that we don't love God and others, but we love ourselves. We don't bow to God's rule, but we rule our own lives. And we suffer personal pain and destruction as a result. And we can look out on a world full of the pain and destruction humanity has brought upon it. But that is not our biggest problem. We bring upon ourselves the right anger of a loving God who who sees the way we treated him and one another. And will justly punish us for it. And only Jesus, the perfect son, can die To bear that punishment in our place. He is the only way. And he is the truth. Because only him, as we saw at the beginning of John's gospel, is the eternal son of God who takes on flesh. So we might know fully and finally who God is. As some of you in ladies' Bible study are doing, 1 John And John the Apostle, the one who leans up against Jesus a couple of weeks ago in the the Last Supper in the upper room, says, that which we've seen, which we've heard, which we've behold with our eyes, which we have touched. That's, That's how much God wants you to know him. So you don't have to stare up into the heavens trying to find out what he's like. He comes to earth and he lives truth in front of you so that you can know what God is really like in the person of his son Jesus Christ. And only Jesus is the life, because only he is the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made. John has said that in him is life. I mean, it's too too big for us to get our minds around this morning that, that the life you enjoy flows out of the person of the Son of God who gives life to all things. And we might say, well, how do you prove that, Jesus? Well, he stands outside the tomb of his dead mate, Lazarus, and John records, Jesus calls, come out. And I I love the next next few words in John 11. The dead man walked out. Because that's normal. The dead man walked out. And so we know Jesus can give us life today and life forever in relationship with God. Resurrection life, eternal life. He is the life. Now, no other founder of any world religion would would claim that. In fact, every other world religion would point you to God or point you on the path to enlightenment and and they'll say, now you've seen what God is like or now you know the way to walk to enlightenment, just get on and do it. Really, get on and do it. That's what you've got to do. Sort it out. In fact, all the, the sort of secular religions of self-help in our world are doing the same thing at the same time. I get this um, Saturday supplement in my newspaper. Every week, it tells me a different way to sort my life out. And primarily, they're, they're all mutually exclusive. So, uh, you know, one week, I'm supposed to be doing mindfulness and meditation. The next week, I'm supposed to be up to my armpits doing mudder, running around being energetic. One week, I'm supposed to do yoga and eat biodegradable yogurts. The next next week, I'm, I'm supposed to play more sport and get bigger muscles. Um, you remember the Atkins diet. Some of you remember, you're old enough to remember the Atkins diet, you know. That was a great diet. Eat more meat to lose weight. I had some bloke friends who were seriously big, literally seriously big into that diet. But now, no, you don't do that anymore. No, it's veganry, which, praise God, is over. Yeah? That's what you've got to do. We keep changing. And all they have in common is, no, really, here's the way, you do it. No, really, you sort it out, just follow the instructions. And that's what Thomas is expecting. And Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. It's not about you. It's about me. In fact, in our passage this morning, something like 28 times, Jesus says, I or me. Don't waste the next five minutes counting them. That's what you pay me to do, okay? 28 times, something like that. He's either the biggest egotist on earth, or he's the most beautiful savior there has ever been. Because he says, it's not about the way you live your life. It's about what I've done for you. I'm the way. Hang on to me. Because I'm the way to get to God. And I'm the truth about what He is. And I'm the life that you are created to know now and forever. I was, I was trying to explain this to someone on Christianity Explored this week. And I think it's the difference between seeing Jesus as your swimming teacher or Jesus as the lifeguard. You know, Jesus the swimming teacher, you're, you're in the mess of life. You can't swim. You know you can't swim. You're drowning. You're in the big flap attack position, legs and arms. And Jesus the swimming teacher stands on the side and goes, kick harder. No. No, no, get your body flatter. Tuck your tummy in. Never managed to do that. Tuck your tummy in. Do you want to read my book on swimming while you're there? And that's what people think Christianity is about. But it's not. It's about Jesus the lifeguard the one who dives into our world and grabs us with his arms that have been nailed to a cross and says, you cannot save yourself. But I have have come because I am the way and I'm going to drag you back into relationship with God through my love as I die for you. And I'm going to give you resurrection, resuscitation, life forever. And I'm the truth about God. It's Jesus the lifeguard. And the disciples need to remember that, don't they? They need to remember that as they doubt themselves. Because when they doubt themselves, they need to remember Jesus has done it all. They're not the way he is. They don't have to work out the truth. They just have to look to him. They don't have to sort their lives out. He gives them life. But but they also need to to remember that Jesus is uniquely the way, the truth, and the life when, when they doubt him. There's never been anyone like him. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, is is this person of Jesus Christ worth following? Well, just have a look at how utterly unique he is. He is the only one who has ever demonstrated that he is God on earth and then with all that power and authority has chosen to lay it down and die in the place of his people that they might be restored to a relationship with the God they've rejected. He's utterly unique. And if you know him, well, look how, how he says you know God in verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Oh, which brings us to, to Philip's question. Philip says, Lord, um, show us the Father and that will be a, enough for us. And it's, it's our last thing to see this morning because Jesus gives clarity to struggling seekers maybe you're like Philip this morning and you're thinking well that's all good and proper but what I just need is a bit more evidence that's what Philip wants to believe but he he says I just need a bit more evidence and look how Jesus replies in verse 9 don't you know me Philip after even I've been among you such a long time anyone who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father now often when people see babies they try and guess which parent they look like. If you've had a baby, you'll know this. They even do it if you adopt a child, they tell you they look like you. And um, it's never really a great compliment with a baby, is it? Because basically, most babies are losing their hair, and the biggest part of their body is their milk-filled tummy. So to be told your child looks like you is never a great thing, really. It is terrifying, those you grow up, you do become, if you started to become your parents? I mean, I, I stand in the same way as my dad does. I've started to tell, uh, well, for years I've been telling bad dad jokes like my dad did and then laughing at them before I get to the end because I think I'm so funny like he did. You become your parents. Unlucky. And what Jesus is saying is if you want to see what my father's like, you just look no further than me. As you've heard my words, you've heard the very words that come with the power and authority of God as you've seen my works you've seen the sort of thing that a compassionate loving tender God does you've seen the extraordinary authority that I have over creation as I heal people and as I feed people and as I draw close to those and raise people from the dead he says I'm in the father and the father's in me it's even closer than any human relationship. This is God the Father working in the world through Jesus' his Son. So Philip, you don't need anything else. If you're struggling to believe, look to what I've done. If you're not yet a Christian here, we would recommend maybe you take away one of the accounts of Jesus' life, maybe this account, John's Gospel, and read it for yourself. If you'd like to read john's gospel with someone else maybe the friend who is a christian we've got this thing called word one-to-one where you and they can just sit down and read john's gospel together over a cup of coffee why why not try it why not say to your your friend your family member who's a christian look i'll give it a go for half an hour with you you get the literature and pay for it you take me out and buy me the coffee i'll give it a go for half an hour and if i like it i'll do it again i mean it's a a win-win situation isn't it you get a free book, a free coffee, and half an hour you can walk away. And if they won't do it with you, oh, I'll do it. I'll buy the coffee and the book. Come and see me afterwards. But if you are a Christian, do you see what Jesus does with you as you, you struggle, as you doubt, what he does with Philip? He doesn't say, bucket up your ideas, mate, get a bit more faith. No, he points you to himself. He says, look at what I've said and, and what I've done. That's, that's the best place to go whenever you're. You're struggling with doubt in the Christian faith. I, I, I sometimes have to do this myself. I sort of have this little mantra I repeat to myself, usually not out loud because people begin to question my sanity. But a, a set of questions I ask myself when I'm when I'm doubting the truth of, of what I believe. I, I say, Did Jesus live? Yeah, no, no, there's even the atheist historians believe he lived. Is the compelling evidence then for what Jesus said and done? Yes, there's there's the best historical evidence for any character who lived of his age? Does he reveal to me a unique and loving, compassionate God? Yes, he does. Did he die on the cross? Yes, he did. Did he rise again? Yes, there's no other explanation for the empty tomb and the empowered disciples and the explosion of the church across the known world. Stop doubting. and get on and write your sermon. Look back to Jesus with our doubts, to, to the things we first believed. You see, there's clarity for for the seeker. But the extraordinary thing is, we started this passage with these fearful, terrified disciples, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He says to these men, oh, by the way, through you, we're going to change the world. Look what he says in verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now, these these greater things that they're going to do, they can't mean a greater quality. It's not that the disciples are going to sort of feed 10,000 people rather than a meager 5,000 or calm a bigger storm or, you know, heal or raise two people from the dead at once. That makes no sense. It can't mean they're going to do greater things in the terms of the disciples are going to do more things than Jesus because they're going to be around longer than him. John could have used other words to say that. Jesus tells us what the greater things are at the end of verse 12 they're the greater things they can do because I'm going to the Father what is Jesus just about to do? he's about to die on a cross to rise from the dead and to ascend to his Father in heaven what's the greater thing the disciples will be able to do as the the Spirit is poured out upon them then? to tell people there's a God who loves you so much in the person of his son, he died on the cross. And three days later, he rose that you might have life. And now he's in heaven. And that can be your home. That's the greatest thing anyone can do. Tell someone that news. The greatest thing anyone can be given is that beautiful truth about Jesus. How are they going to do this huge task? Well, Jesus says, just ask me. Verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. Again, asking in Jesus' name, it's, it's not like Harry Potter, where you've got to pronounce the incantation right and you get the spell, you know, in the name of Jesus. Or like that terrible book, The Secret, which suggests that if you really believed, I really want that, I am going to will it into my life. If I have enough faith, I will get it. Yeah, like that's going to work either. Now Jesus says what in his name is in the same verse. Do you see it? So the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you think God the Father is going to be glorified in the Son by you getting a better job, a nicer house, or a new kitchen, then you've misunderstood the Bible. The Father's glorified in the Son when people come to follow the the Lord Jesus themselves, when people live for the Lord Jesus themselves. And asking in Jesus' name... It is therefore, it's a bit like a medieval knight knocking on the door of the castle and saying, open up in the name of the king. It's saying, the king wants you to open the door. It's doing his will. And I come with the king's authority. That's what asking in Jesus' name is. It's coming to the throne of heaven and saying, I want to do what Jesus wants. I want to do it in his authority, for him, for his sake. When you ask like that, Jesus says, I, I will answer. I'll give you whatever you want. Now, that, that doesn't mean we, we won't pray heartfelt prayers that we believe are utterly in line with the good news of Jesus going out over the world, and they'll be answered in the way we expect every time. No, no, that's not the promise here. But it does mean that we can keep praying, knowing that Jesus always gives us the best thing, the best thing that will mean that his kingdom will expand and people will come to trust in him. But By the way, that's, that's why as we go forward with a, with a new vision, do you know what the key to our vision is? It won't be the new website. Do you like a little teaser trailer there? It won't actually even be you mastering the Bible backwards in Swahili. Okay? It'll be praying. If we want to see 10% of the people in Chessington, by the way, there aren't 300,000 people in Chessington, 300,000 people in a five-mile radius. If you're thinking, whoa, it's not that cramped. It's not. Three hundred people, people in a five-mile radius. Do you know what? Do you want to see 10%? That'll happen when we have to put out more chairs for our prayer meeting. That'll happen when every church member puts every prayer meeting in their diary for the rest of their life now and makes the priority. Because that's when we'll ask in Jesus' name. And that's when we'll receive what he wants to give us. As we we go forward in our vision. That's that's the most important thing. So if you come today knowing you're more of a failure and more afraid than you'd like to be, welcome to the club. And the great thing is the precious Lord Jesus Christ says to you, "Don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. I've done everything to prepare a place in heaven for you. And I'll come and take you to be with me. But because I'm the way, the truth, and the life, cling to me. It's not about you. And take that great news to everyone who you ever meet who doesn't know me. But you're going to do it if you ask, if you depend on me, if you trust me. And I'll work through you. Because I work through fearful failures like you. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who brings comfort to troubled hearts. Who brings confidence to doubtful disciples like us. Who brings clarity to those seeking you. Please fix our eyes on you, wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we feel today. Fix our eyes on you and be our strength and our comforter for your name's sake. Amen we're going to gather around this table now. It's the table that the Lord Jesus gave us uh, to remind us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. If I could have the uh, elders who are helping up to the table, that would be great. Uh, The night before he died, the night which he uh, spoke those words in John chapter 14, he uh, shared a meal with his disciples. It was Passover time. We've seen that again and again in John, the time when the Jewish people remembered being rescued from Egypt. They remembered lambs being slaughtered in the place of their firstborn sons that the right anger of God would not fall upon them. And in the midst of that time, Jesus shared this Passover meal and he made it his own that they might remember what he had done for them. And uh, we're going to share that meal now, that we might remember what he has done for us. I will break bread and the bread will be passed around. Please help yourself and uh, eat as the bread comes to you. Uh, And then we'll share wine. It's juice. The bread's gluten-free. And that wine will remind us that Jesus' blood was poured out on the cross, that we might be cleansed fully and finally and filled with his Holy Spirit and enabled to follow him. A precious meal, a gift. One way that Jesus grabs hold of us in faith again and keeps us trusting as he takes us home. Let me pray as we come to the table together. Lord Jesus, you are the way. What a way you walked for us the way of the cross, where your body was broken where you died in our place as our substitute, where you bore our sin. And you are the truth. You are the truth about God. And what we see at the cross is a God who is humble, even unto death, who is loving, even unto sacrifice, who willingly bears his own right anger at our sin. And you are life. Because the, the lifeblood poured out from you means that the life-giving spirit that proceeds from you and your Father in heaven can be poured out into our hearts. So as we eat bread and as we drink this juice, this memorial of your death, fix our eyes on you. Fix our eyes on home. Make us thankful. For your name's sake. Amen.